Oh, that's fun. Brass, bells, choir, Ken and Arlene, thank you. Your mother and I are so proud of you. I tell you, we warned them last week at the concert that this morning would be like a concert interrupted by a sermon. And uh, so thank you. Well, I want to weave. What, is Brenda still here? I know she was at the first service. Wasn't that a beautiful little story? Huh? Now, I, I, I should go back and ask them. Why didn't you just come to the church? We have a baptismal pool right here. We could have filled it with water. Even from the hose, it would have been warmer than the ocean that day. And, um, you, you know, so if you were thinking, well, I'd like to be baptized, but I'm never going in those waves like that, um, then you just come here because we have a baptismal. Also, the, uh, they probably already talked about this, but, you know, we made the newspaper in, uh, this is um, the uh, Capistrano Dispatch had some positive news that this last week they said the place to go was to the Easter Fair at South Shores Church. Yesterday, and so there were 485 partners there, uh, little partners, and uh, then we had uh, over 1,100 here. So about 500 people came to uh, one of the uh, parties yesterday uh, to celebrate. And once in a while, it's nice to have good news. You know, in Dana Point, mostly we've had a negative press, but at least they've spelled our name right. And so we we say, well, we'll take that. And then they did give us good news this past year, where they voted 5-0 finally in our favor to say, yes, let's get after a construction project. And so we're gonna, I'm going to be telling you a little bit about that. But I want to weave three stories together today, primarily. The story of Jesus Christ, the story of the church of Jesus Christ, and the story of you, the friend of Jesus Christ. And I think the most important question to ask is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I mean, it's the most important question you can ever ponder. Because the answer to, that you give to that will determine your Eternal destiny. It's where you're going to spend eternity that's in the balance. And you and I live in a day and age where people would say, it's kind of the prevailing view that all truth is relative. And that might be truth for you, but it's not truth for me, as if truth is somehow negotiable. Truth is no longer considered an absolute. And, you know, if you find it useful or acceptable, well, then yes, it's truth. So does it really matter if Jesus rose from the dead? Do I feel it's important to my life? But that prevailing view puts you onto shifting sand, and it's not going to hold up when you need it the most. I mean, I'm sure a church this size, you know, a group that we are here today, we've absorbed some of the culture that gets pushed at us in virtually everything that says live and let live, and you find truth for you, and I'll find truth for me. But here's the facts that won't change. This is truth whether it's popular or not. That someday you will stand before God all by yourself to give an account for your life. And God is going to judge you and me and he's going to be determining if he's going to invite you into his heaven. And what he's going to use to determine that is what have you done with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? I mean, here at South Shores Church, we believe that Jesus, born in Bethlehem, called Jesus of Nazareth, because that's where he grew up, he was born to Mary and Joseph, and he was actually fully human and fully God at the same time. That's what the Bible teaches as truth, that Jesus lived and died and then lived again. He rose from the dead, that he is God, come in human flesh 
that he's the savior of the world. And God's judgment of the world by Jesus is coming. It's truth for everybody, even if it's inconvenient or you didn't want to hear that or you try to ignore it or if it's unsettling. And so it's coming and our best response then is to repent from our sin and shortcoming and to ask Jesus to be our savior, to get right with God while you still can. So we've been studying in the book of John, which John is an eyewitness account of the life and death and life again of Jesus. And over and over, John tells the story of people who interact with Jesus and what they conclude about Jesus. So let's look at the story that John weaves together and asking uh, the, look at the different answers given to the a question, who is Jesus? It says right off the beginning, John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Verse 14, he says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. One of the first people who began to tell the story of Jesus was Jesus' cousin named John, also, also called John. John. He was called John the Baptist because he was baptizing people baptizing them as they repented, said, God, I need to turn from my own sin. Show me what you would have for me next. And they were getting ready. They didn't know uh, who the Savior was. They were hoping that uh, one would show up soon. And suddenly John points to Jesus, who's walking his direction, and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. One of the people who heard John say that, was a fisherman named Andrew who was there researching this for his whole family to say, how do you get right with God? He followed Jesus. He talked to Jesus for the rest of the day. And then he went home and he told his brother, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. One of their friends, it was probably one of his uh, high school buddies, Philip, also became a disciple. Philip found his friend Nathaniel, and he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel had read Moses and the prophets. He knew his Bible, and he knew that the Savior came from Bethlehem. So he said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? I mean, come on, it's Nazareth? Well, Jesus knew this, and so when he saw Nathanael, he said things about Nathanael that only Nathanael would have known. And so Nathanael became a disciple himself, and he said to Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Shortly after this, as Jesus was getting his ministry started, he went to a wedding just as one of the guests. They had a problem at the wedding. They ran out of wine at the reception, and... Jesus' mother also was there, and you know how moms can push their kid forward. So Jesus' mother said, well, just do whatever he tells you. And Jesus said, my time has not yet come, but to honor his mother, he turned water into wine, six barrels worth, so that they would have enough. Do whatever Jesus tells you. We're trying to follow that advice here at South Shores of saying, what does Jesus tell us to do? How do we represent him in this world? How do we be in love with him and share that love with other people? So I'm going to get back to the story in John, but I want to weave our story into it as well. Because South Shore started as a Bible study in the home of a couple named Roland and Genevieve Cole. And they lived in Laguna Beach, South Laguna, in the late 50s. And in October of 1958, 13 people came together to consider forming a church to celebrate the life and the teachings of Jesus. And they continued to grow, so they had to move out of the art gallery, or out of the home into an art gallery. And they called a pastor, Pastor Hubert Davidson, in January of 1959. There were 35 people who were part of South Shores. Are any of those here today? Would you stand up? I got one, Helen. 
<laughs> so she can tell you I'm telling the truth. Well, shortly after that, they saw the property that went for sale here on Crown Valley Parkway. And Crown Valley wasn't two lanes or three lanes at that point. In fact, it wasn't even paved. And when the church finally got here for their first Easter, it was such a rainy day that church was delayed because you could only get up the steep hill from uh, PCH by going backwards, by going in reverse. And so uh, they were coming up the hill in reverse so they could get here to church. Well, in February 1962, Mrs. Shoemaker sold the home and the six acres to the church for $190,000. I mean, it was a steal even back in 1962. And she let them auction the artwork and her Persian rugs that were in the home as the down payment to get $10,000 together um, to start paying on their loan. So clearly this property was a gift from God. I figure it takes the pressure off the preacher because people come to church to be inspired. If you can do that sitting here looking out the window hearing the music, then even if the preaching's boring, you can leave and still feel inspired. So... Then they called a pastor in 1963 named Pastor Chuck Waters. And during that time, the 200-seat chapel was built, which is right next door, the one with the pointy roof, uh, for $100,000. And it was constructed and dedicated to God. And the parsonage was built, and the preschool was begun. And we have had the preschool now doing ministry here for 50 years. Praise God. Who's been part of the preschool? Stand up. If any, in any capacity, teacher, uh, student, come on, stand up. Where are you? Preschool? also say thank you to Peggy and Diane for giving it leadership. We're celebrating it. As, as we've looked towards uh, what's coming up this year, we've realized we're going to have to temporarily close our preschool uh, to get some of the construction done, and then we will be back. See, clearly God's hand of protection and blessing is on this little church. It started in the home of the Coles. They had two sons who were in their 30s at the time, both of them pastors. And so they called, and Don Cole came here and served as pastor from 73 to 90. And uh, they built the fellowship hall while he was the pastor. And uh, then he uh, was preaching as an interim in 1990 on Mother's Day, talking about heaven, how great it would be to go there. He had a heart attack mid-sentence in the sermon and went straight to heaven. So he not only went to heaven, he went to sainthood as far as we were concerned here, you know, at church. And um, then his brother, uh, Ted, became pastor in 91, from 91 to 96, and that's when this sanctuary was built under his ministry. Who here, stand up, if you were part of this church in any capacity while either one of the Coles, Don or Ted, were pastor? Would you? Would you stand up for me, please? And All right. Good. Now, Dottie, you better stay standing. Dottie, Dottie Cole, you better stand back up for me because Dottie was the uh, 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 pastor, uh, Ted's wife, and she also turned 92 this week, so be nice to her. (laughs) So, this has always been a church that believed that the Bible is God's Word. And we're going to live by what does the Bible say. And it guides our life and our faith and our practice and how we uh, integrate what we believe into how we live as individuals and as a church as we follow Jesus Christ in this world. And um, Jesus 
came back alive, and he left his spirit here to be in people to represent him. And when Jesus was alive, even, people didn't always recognize him for who he was. You, if we get back to John and look in chapter 3, he had Nicodemus come and to talk to him. Nicodemus was the leading Jewish scholar of his day and uh, the teacher of the people, a very respected uh, rabbi. And he comes to say, and he says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus said to him, verse 3, John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He's talking to somebody who knew the Bible by heart, but he's saying that's not enough. You need to have a faith experience of inviting God personally into your life, of inviting him in, like we say, to live in your heart. The next chapter, Jesus isn't talking to a high, revered teacher. He's talking to an outcast among the outcasts. He's in Samaria, which was the outcast uh, part of Israel. And among them, he's talking to a woman who is outcast to the point that she even draws her water at the wrong time of day so that she won't have to run into anybody, but she runs into Jesus. And he asks for a drink, and it starts a conversation. And uh, finally, he points things out about her that only she would know. And she says, hey, I perceive you're a prophet. And she wants to enter a theological conversation with him. And finally, she says, she doesn't know what to tell him. So she says, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus was as clear with this woman as he could possibly be. He said, I who speak to you, I'm he. Well, in chapter 5, Jesus is down in Jerusalem again, and there's a man lying by the pool. This guy's been 38 years as an invalid, waiting for some, a miracle to happen in his life, praying every day, waiting. He has been lying at that pool longer than Jesus had been alive. And Jesus comes to him and says, do you want to be well? And he says, well, well poor me. I don't know. And Jesus says, stand on your feet and walk. And he heals him on the spot. The man gets up, picks up his mat. The problem is it's a Sabbath day, and the Jews have made some man-made rules about keeping the Sabbath, and he's breaking one of those. And this causes the people who see him, instead of praising God for a miracle that's done in his life, to say, hey, wait a minute, you're breaking one of our rules. And then they get after Jesus. And Jesus gets in an argument with them, and in verse 17, Jesus tells them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Jesus, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his father, making himself equal with God. Chapter 6, Jesus took a little boy's lunch, and he fed 5,000 people who had come to hear him speak, and they were all hungry. So he used this little lunch to feed everyone. And afterwards, some of the crowd said, this is indeed the prophet who's to come into the world. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Then when some of them decided it cost too much to follow Jesus and they left, Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter spoke for the group and he said, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life and we believe it have come to know you are the Holy One of God. Jesus went back down to Jerusalem for a feast and said on the last day of the feast, this is chapter 7 now, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this is what he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Holy Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, 
Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David? Comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people. Each person had to choose for themselves. Who is Jesus? You and I need to choose the same. I hope that we agree. In their day, there was a division between people. At that feast in chapter 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then they continued to argue. The, The Jews talked about Abraham, and Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Which is the same way God spoke to Moses when Moses said, Who should I say sent me to Egypt? And God said, Tell them, I am sent you. Jesus uses the same name. Then in chapter 9, it records a story of a man who was born blind, that Jesus comes along and gives him directions to how to be healed and to get his sight. And the man follows Jesus' direction, and sure enough, he gets his sight. And then everything hits the fan, and the guy gets called on the carpet. And they said, tell us how this happened. And before it was over, they tossed him out of the synagogue and, um, because he had said that uh, Jesus was something special. Jesus found him and said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Which was Jesus' favorite delineation of himself, Son of Man. And he said, well, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Chapter 10, John has Jesus beginning to tell more and more of his teachings directly to his disciples. And he said to them in chapter seven, in 10, verse 7, he said, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and they know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Chapter 11, he's gone back into hostile territory. He's standing at the grave of his friend Lazarus. He's weeping because of the effects of sin in Lazarus' life that Lazarus has died. His sister's there saying, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. Jesus went from there on into Jerusalem, and on that time into Jerusalem, all the crowds gathered around him. They put their coats down in front of him. They put uh, palm branches. The whole crowd began to yell, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. While they're there, they had a a dinner, and Jesus uh, noticed somebody didn't show up to wash the feet, which was customary in their day. And so Jesus himself set aside his robe, and he got down, and he washed all their feet. And then he said to them, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Jesus went on over that dinner to talk to the disciples, and he said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He goes on in chapter 15 to say, abide in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. Lots of places in 16, 17, he said, I came from the Father. I am the Son of God. God is my Father. Then he prays in chapter 17, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Jesus' claim is that he's God. That's what gives him the power to forgive sin. He paid with his own life. They came to arrest him in chapter 18, and he said to them, Whom do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am he. They put him on trial in front of Pilate in chapter 19. Pilate said to Jesus, Are you a king? 
And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you're a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what's truth? Pilate also wrote an inscription that they tacked above Jesus' head on the cross, and it wrote, he wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And then we get to chapter 20, which is primarily what we were looking at today, that it says, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. Now, they had a shortage of names, so it seemed like about every woman in the Bible is named Mary. And this one's Mary Magdalene. She's from the village of Magdala. Jesus had cast seven demons out of her, so she certainly had a period of crisis and darkness in her life. Jesus healed her, and she just falls in love with Jesus. And so she's there when he is put to death. She's there when he's put into the grave. She comes back on the first day while it's still dark. She sees that the stone, probably just to grieve, she sees that the stone has been taken away from the tomb. She ran and she told Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord. And we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter and the other disciple, that's John's reference for himself, the other disciple or the one that Jesus loved, you know, Jesus' favorite. And at least that's what he called himself. And they were going to the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, that's only important to John. He's not competitive, but he wants you to know he did get there first. And uh, then, verse 6, then Simon Peter came following him, and he went to the tomb, chugging along, you know, best as he could. And he saw the, uh, coming in second, and he saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. That's a detail an eyewitness would notice. And then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, by the way, remember? And um, also went in and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. And the disciples went back home. Now Mary came and alerted them. She came back to the tomb. And the, the two boys come, check things out. John got there first. Remember that. And then, um, then they departed. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stood to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at his feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. And he said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. Stop choking me, is what he's really saying. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord alive. Do you know what sets Jesus apart from any other great religious leader the world has ever produced? He's God, and he didn't stay dead. Jesus is alive. He's alive again. We know this to be true by the people who knew him and who watched him die and gave us an account. And then three days later, he comes alive again. We know it from Mary Magdalene. I have seen the Lord. 
Over the course of the next 40 days after that statement, the Bible records 14 different sightings of Jesus alive again. Suddenly he would just show up. One person, two at a time, a group of the disciples, up to 500 at one place. All of them were people who were believers. You also have the witness of his enemies because this report got circulated that Jesus was alive again. They had worked hard to get him killed. They wanted him dead. Now there's this report that he's alive again. The guards at the scene claimed it happened, but they were paid off, bribed to stay quiet. The easiest way to prove that the, the report that Jesus was alive again was false would be to produce his body. Put his dead body on display. That would have ended any of the whole claim of life after death. But they couldn't do it because they couldn't find the body because there was no dead body because Jesus was raised from the dead. Then there's John who wrote this whole book of John asking the question, who is Jesus? So if you agree with John that Jesus is the Word who became flesh, He's the Messiah, He's the Christ, He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, He's the Rabbi, He's the Son of God, He's the one that the the prophet who is to come, He's the King of Israel, He's the bread of life, He's the living water, He's the door, He's the good shepherd, He's the Son of God, He's the way, the truth, and the life, He is the Lord. We think that's the story that the world needs to hear. Because this world needs a Savior. His name is Jesus. In fact, that's the reason we have a church at all. I mean, every member of South Shores would agree with John. We're trying to live by the words of Jesus, live our lives for Jesus, share Jesus with the lost and di- this lost and dying world. I've been blessed to be the pastor here at South Shores since July of 1998. It, if you're new around here, it's a kind church. It's full of good people. Even when they disagree, they do it in a gracious sort of way. And it's even better when you're here. It's a blessing to be part of God's work here in South Orange County. When, we, when I began as pastor in 98, we had two worship services, and now we have five on Sundays. And we look at this property as a gift from God. And we've asked the question, how do we maximize this gift to the glory of God How do we use what God has given us to better tell the story until we see Jesus face to face? Well, as we began to petition our city, and it's been 12 years, and then in September 2013, uh, Hope Harbor Church in San Juan called us. They also used to be called Capo Valley Baptist Church. And they said, let's get together. Let's join together. I said, what are you talking about? They said, we want to give you our property, our problems, our people, our books, our budget, our everything. Let's get the two churches married. Oh, so that's what we did. There are so many parallels. Both churches started as a Bible study in a home in the late 50s. Both Bible studies became churches to celebrate Jesus as God come alive in this world. Both churches purchased property. Both churches started either a preschool or a school. Both recognize and believe that Jesus is God and that Jesus is our Savior. So we joined together. And this too is a gift from God. We are so blessed because finally last June, the city, a council for the city of Dana Point voted 5-0 in our favor to say yes to a construction project to build four new buildings and deck the parking lot by going down a level. So we've prayed and we've planned and we invited everybody to give generously and many people have. And if you want to see more literature, there's some out in the back if you can get it. But we've received gift and pledges this year where we're ready to move forward this summer. So... 
Our architects told us we could get the project done faster and cheaper if we were not living in the construction zone, if we weren't here under their feet and in their way. So July 31st will be our last Sunday here. Then we're going to move all of our services to the, to the gift that God gave us in San Juan of our other campus. And uh, we're going to have all of our services in San Juan and all of our operations starting next August in San Juan. We're going to put a fence around this property and get after the project. So we don't want to get overextended, so we're going to do a, a first phase, phase one, of two buildings and lengthen the parking lot on grade. We'll do all the demo that's needed, the grading, the infrastructure, which by itself will be about $10 million of the project. We'll lengthen the parking lot and where the preschool is now, and we'll build two large buildings for ministry, which will give us 10,000 square feet more for ministry than we currently have. The whole goal is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, babies, children, youth, adults, senior citizens. We want everybody to know and to love and to worship Jesus. Now, I'm telling you all this on Easter because if you're one of those that only comes on Easter and Christmas, okay, you're welcome, and I'm glad you're here. But when you show up at Christmas, you'll get here, there'll be a fence around the place, okay? Now, I wish you'd show up sooner. I, I, honest, I do. So if you're going to come back here, you've got to do it before the end of July, okay? Because we meet every week, and we, it's just... It's, it's just better when you're here. I wasn't joking. So to find the place from here, if you get here and there's a fence around the place, go up to Del Avion, turn right. Go over to Del Obispo. You go over kind of two ridges, turn left. Go past the barn that burned down. Go past, as you're going past a ball field on your right, take the next right. You're, you'll be in the parking lot. And come join us for worship. We're going to use the same schedule we have here, 8.15, 9.30, and 11. I'm going to still... Turn our choir and our organ loose to say, come on, lead us into the praise of glory of God. At 11 and 4.30, we'll still have the services with drums and guitar because we want everybody to know, Jesus, like John said, Jesus is God. He's our Savior. In fact, somebody reminded me last week of a story I told on the very first Sunday when Brenda was here. It's a true story of a woman who was part of our church here who went to her mother's bedside because her mother was going to die. The whole family's gathered around. In fact, she closed her eyes. She stopped talking. They thought she had died. Suddenly she opened her eyes and she said, live like it's true because it is. Live like it's true because it is. It's like she had died. She had looked in heaven. She had seen the Savior. Everything that she's known by faith, everything she's read in God's word, everything she's seen in her church, live like it's true because it is. Jesus died and he came alive again. It demands some response from us. We come to Jesus by faith based on truth we find in the Holy Bible. And we come to God and we ask him for forgiveness of our sin. Come live in our hearts. See, if you agree with John, then invite him into your heart today. Let him make his home in you, in your heart. You'll have a place with him forever in heaven. See, you are the third strand of the braid. You have Jesus. You have the church of Jesus. And you have you, God's people. Who is Jesus? Your answer will make a difference for you for now. And forever, he's God. He's the Savior. He's the Lord. Make him your Savior and Lord. I want to close with a little clip by Steve Harvey. He was asked the same question, who is Jesus? Jesus. 